0: I'm here to help you grow and learn as a Resource Room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the Resource Room podcast. Thanks, Amanda. This is
1: great. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I am so excited to talk to you about what I feel is a very, very important topic, which is parent communication today. So could you go ahead and kind of tell listeners a little bit about yourself and what you teach, what you do every day.
1: Absolutely. So um, on the everyday basis, I teach in a self-contained special education classroom, uh, usually working with students diagnosed with autism, Down syndrome, intellectual disabilities. Um, I also have a little bit of an elementary, early childhood background as well. I used to teach that before I went into special ed. So I've got a little bit of that experience as well.
0: I think your experience in general education also helps us teach special education. I don't know if you feel the same, but I had a brief period of time in gen ed and I think it helps teachers know that you've walked in their shoes and you know what you're asking teachers to do when it comes to maybe parent communication or, you know, other accommodations and things like that.
1: Absolutely. I think it helps so much with the collaboration piece that we're always trying to have between the special education teachers and the regular education teachers, whether the students are in and out of both classrooms, if it's a little bit of time, if it's not. I think it it just provides you with the understanding of maybe some of the details of a job that, you know, if you haven't been in either one or the other and you're trying to kind of collaborate, you don't quite understand it. So I agree with that completely.
0: Um, one of the things that we're going to talk about today is parent communication, and that's something that I feel some teachers are very comfortable with, very confident with, but even me, I don't mind communicating with parents, but there are times where I'm like, ugh, ugh I got to make that phone call or or whatever. So as we talk today, I I want to kind of speak to those teachers, but also the brand new teachers or the, the special ed teachers who are like, oh my gosh, I know this is a big part I've got to make it quick and easy. And so what do you recommend? How do you, on the day-to-day, what do you recommend for special education teachers to use to communicate with parents? So first thing
1: I think of when I think of communication is obviously we do not have a ton of time in the day to be doing those things. You know, you think of phone calls and emails and writing notes and all the different modes that are out there. And there's more and more showing up as, (laughs) as we speak different apps and computer programs and things you can do on different devices to communicate with families. And they are all amazing. However, I do think that, and some people might not like this answer. You have to figure out what works for you as a person. So if you prefer things written down, you know, Go with that. If you like using the tech and you find that easy and it meets your needs, you need to do that. But I think some of it's a little bit of trial and error, which yes, that means maybe a little bit of work is involved on you figuring that out. Um, For me, I think some of the first steps, though, is just figuring out what's going to work for you, your classroom. Maybe even your school might have certain requirements you have to meet. So all of that needs to be taken into consideration before you pick what kind of method you want to use. Um, And then you also need to decide how often you're going to be doing that communication. So, you know, and some of that may also be based off your abilities. And maybe the family's capabilities to communicate back with you or see the feedback you're giving them, right? So for us to take all this time to write notes, and we've all been there, we've had families that have said, hey, I totally want to get so much information about Johnny's day. Can you tell me everything? And you tell them everything and it never leaves the backpack. Um, and, and we, I get it. I'm a parent myself of two young kids. I know how hard it is to stay on top of those things, but making it realistic. And I think also sharing that with families that you want to make it accessible for them and not a waste of either of your times, because we can put our time in a lot of different places and maybe it's more beneficial to focus on other things in our job than writing tons of communication if the family doesn't, you know, see a need for it
0: absolutely you have you just shared so many wonderful like, nuggets <laughs> there one of the things that i love the most is i talk a lot about you know choosing a calendar that works for you and i like my desk calendar somebody else might like google calendar somebody else right i think it's the same thing who cares what it is find something that works for you and and oftentimes i think we have we feel like you know maybe social media says we need to do this or the teacher down the hall says that and so we feel like that's what we have to do but that's all a lie we have to find what works for us
1: Absolutely. I agree. And I think, you know, like you said, that stress of like, well, every teacher I see, uh, you know, on social media, they use, you know, uh, this type of planner to plan. I've never been a planner teacher. Never. I tried. I've tried jumping into it because I did the same thing. I said, hey, you know, I want to do what that that person's doing. And let's be honest, if you're in special education, a planner's like (laughs) never going to work. (laughs) There is so many different wheels going, and I mean, just teaching in general, it's that. But um, you know, and and that's okay. I think I think that's if you can just say, you know, I realize this is not going to work for me, but then you start working on what can work yes. for you. That's how you move forward and, and make those those good decisions.
0: I absolutely agree, and that's where I feel like sharing on the podcast helps all of us because somebody's going to listen to this and be like, mm, nope, not doing that. But I think more people will listen and be like, ah, I could do that. So will you share a little bit about, you have some communication logs that you sell on TPT, which we can link in the show notes whenever all is said and done. But can you share a little bit about what does communication look like in your classroom and what are you using?
1: Absolutely. So um, I... um, I used, so I taught for seven years in brick and mortar self-contained. I'm actually currently teaching in a cyber school. So that looks a little different, right? Um, But in my self-contained, which I know many of the teachers across the country, that's what they are, that day-to-day in the classroom with the students and families. I used daily communication logs, just like the uh, materials that I have on TPT. Um, And so for me, it was more... I wanted um, not just to be able to communicate with those families in the degree that they wanted. And one of the cool things I like about the product I have is I do have daily, weekly, monthly options for teachers that decide which time frame works best. Um, But the other part of it, too, was I had documentation when I needed it. And we know in special education, if we didn't write it down, if we didn't take data on it, it did not happen. So for me, not only was that communication log giving those families good information or whoever it was um, that you were communicating with utilizing those logs, um, I also had documentation if I needed to check on something, maybe so-and-so forgot their backpack every day, but I wanted to see, was this happening every day? Is this a skill I need to teach and reteach to a student because it's happening so often? I can go back in those logs and check. Or did we see some behaviors? Was that around a certain period of time? Were they excited it was their birthday and, and just kind of, you know, had some impulse control going on there that they were excited? Or is there something we need to meet as a team about and say, hey, I'm seeing a pattern here. But those communication logs, I wouldn't say they were necessarily my data sheets, that I would use for IEP goals. But there are spots on there um, to put information about IEP goals. There are some editable boxes you decide with families that you want to share that information you can totally do that for me though it was more about just day-to-day occurrences um pointing out a few things that were good and a few things maybe to work on if we needed to um so that was that was the basis of the communication i did we did it daily we had the pages in a binder it went home in their backpacks every day it came back i had some parents and we you know we i talked with families about this you can choose to contribute as much as you want Um, But every student did it, and, um, and if a student needed support from an adult, we would help provide that for them as well, or sometimes I just completely filled them out for the student's. Um, but it was a daily thing and everybody did it. And some parents would write back. Some parents would just sign and put an initial on it to show that they saw it. And some families didn't utilize it at all. Um, so, and I know that that can also be looked at as, well, that's a lot of work. But for me, it was a standard I wanted in my classroom that this was just a procedure we did, um, because I valued the, the communication and I wanted my administration to see that. And so even, uh, for my teacher evaluation, That was part of that. Like, they evaluate how you communicate with families and stay in contact with the community, at least where I'm from. I'm from Pennsylvania, and that's part of our teacher evaluation. So I was able to say, here's my parent log. So I was covering, you know, doing that, not just because I, you know, checked off a box, but it was also something I believed was important.
0: If you had to guess, how much time does that take you to complete per day? So actually, in my self-contained
1: classroom, it was part of our daily schedule. So I built it into our day about, um, I would say, probably about 10 to 15 minutes. And it was time to sit. At, and we would call it, we actually called them Notes to Home. And I would say, all right, guys, get your Notes to Home binders out. Um, you know, you can call them communication logs. You could call them whatever whatever you want to call them. Um, I, some teachers have fun names for those types of binders and things they share with families. But, um, we would all sit at the table, whole, almost like a whole group lesson in my class of my with my self-contained students. My paraprofessionals were there to support. And then, um, one thing that I did do is based on each student's abilities, I had different styles of communication logs. So that's also a feature that's in the TPT product that I created. I have logs where students can just circle choices or use a dauber and stamp it. Um, I have spots where they could write in information if they were a student that was able to utilize writing skills. Um, And then, again, of course, the adults could step in wherever was needed to put in other information, whether the students needed that help or not, but we tried to incorporate the students in it because I felt like it was a good way to help them accept responsibility for whatever went on that day, good or bad. They got to review their day, think about how things went. Now, if there was an answer, maybe they thought they had a great day, but they didn't quite, I might leave that student's answer there and I actually would review every student's note quickly, just see what they wrote on it and then have a box for myself to put in the additional pieces of information in that 15 minutes. So it was not a long time. Um, And um, in that case, if I needed to adjust, I would just circle an extra box myself so the parents could see the difference. They thought they had a great day, which I think is good communication too. We want our students to learn um, some of that regulation, that self-awareness. And that's also a great skill for them to learn, you know, oh, and if I needed to, if I had a student that was just always doing that, and if it was a student that I felt like, um, really could understand that type of a conversation, I would have it with them. You know, you're saying you're having a great day, but let's look back at your day and some of the things that went on. Do you think maybe we need to change this or do we need to say it was OK or do we need to say, you know, could be better next time kind of <laughs> a thing? And and we would have those conversations if we needed to. So after that 15 minutes, because I know some teachers are thinking, wait, you said it only took 15 how did you do that? We had like a 20 minute block at the end of the day. So think 20 minutes and then 15 minutes before that's when we did the logs. The 20 minutes is when I would review and students would be doing what we called in my classroom, earn time. So Based on their behavior, once we did those sheets um, for the day, they would have a tiered system of a reward that they would earn for 20 minutes at the end of that day. So if they had a great day, they might have earned their top reinforcer, which might be the iPad or a computer or a certain toy, and it would be scaled and it was individualized to each kid, which was a lot of work to set up initially because I had to do preference assessments, find out what the students liked and didn't like. But once we had that system in place, it worked like clockwork. We filled out the notes. We assessed where they were. We gave them permission to go and engage in whatever activity they had earned for that slot of time. And then that let me review their notes, write anything I felt was needed, meet with a child if I felt like it needed to be adjusted. And then it went in their backpack and went home.
0: I think that's wonderful. And the the talking about what was in the the communication log directly ties to what they're going to earn. So that is perfect. As you were talking, there were two things that I really noticed there. Um, You're not asking teachers to take their prep time to communicate with parents. This is something that you're doing every single day and it's just part of your schedule. Because that's oftentimes what I think teachers get overwhelmed with when we think about parent communication is it's like, like for me, for example, I have a 40 minute prep and that's the fastest 40 minutes of the day, you know, like it goes by so fast and I might have a to-do list of things that I need to get done and I might accomplish two of the three things or two of the 10 things that are on that list for that day adding a parent phone call or adding a communication piece. That's a lot to ask, but your logs, that's not what you're asking teachers to do, which I think is perfect.
1: Yeah. So I feel like first off, I try to put the responsibility on the student and granted. Different age groups are going to be able to handle different amounts of responsibility. I completely understand that. And even after that, I, I utilized my paraprofessionals. Yeah. They were there too, overseeing what the kids were doing. Obviously, I had to explain to them what the sheets were, what we wanted to do, that, use them for, how we wanted you know, the information to be relayed. Um, but if they needed to go and help a student hand over hand, circle choices, um, they would do that. If they needed to write something in. Also, for students that were writers, I had a lot of anchor charts in my room. So if they needed to say, today I had, and they were supposed to put whatever specials class they had that day, I had a list of all the specials. So they could just refer to it. Just like you would in your writing lessons, you might have anchor charts of the most commonly used words. I would have the anchor charts they needed to fill out their logs. So then a para could do it with them and just point, you know, oh, we had music, right? Here's the music symbol. Here's the word music. Copy it onto your paper. And yes, did it take, did we have to teach the skill to do it? We did. But for me, it was, I'm teaching them something that's going to be beneficial the rest of their lives. How many times do we fill out forms? Uh-huh. How many times do we fill out applications and resumes and all kinds of paperwork? You know, when you want to buy a house, a car, you want to get a job, you have to fill out things. So this is just taking that skill and applying it in the school setting to something functional for them in that at that time.
0: Absolutely. The other thing that I wrote down while, you know, not only are we not asking them to take their prep time but also a lot of general education classrooms have agendas that they do every day. Right. So, you know, if you are in a self-contained setting or maybe like me in resource and you have a student that you need to communicate, you know, to and from home, if they're already doing agendas, that's already something that could be incorporated because I know in my school, nearly every one of our classrooms, they have a time of day, for Not all of ours is, is right at the end of the day because some of our kids, our classrooms have specials or whatever, but there's yes. some block of time that is dedicated to writing what your homework is, right? Mm-hmm. That tomorrow is picture day or field day or or whatever. So that's already happening in a lot of classrooms. So it's a good transition when your kids go from maybe being self-contained to a little bit of inclusion time, like you said, real life skills of... We're going to have to fill this out. And you using the anchor chart to me is no different than me Googling what the doctor's phone number is whenever I'm sitting there. And it's like, I don't know the, you know, the phone number it's saved on my phone. It's no different than using your resources. What's sitting right in front of you to accomplish that task. So I think that's wonderful.
1: Yeah. It's been a great, a great addition. I, I, I think I started it my second year in self-contained, hated myself for not doing it the first year <laughs> and never looked back. <laughs> yeah.
0: Another thing is you were talking, um, you know, when we said it's not taking your prep time and you said you're utilizing your paras, oftentimes too, paraprofessionals will do what you ask them to, you know, whatever, but they are not the teacher. So they may not always know the things to look for, but right. if they know on Jen's log today, I have to write whether she ate lunch or not, whether she went to Mm -hmm. recess or not, you're also kind of teaching and training them what to be looking for, what to be mindful for. And as human beings, I don't care how great you are, you're going to forget something that that student did, a behavior that maybe they witnessed that you didn't. And so being able to, you know, everybody is kind of on board with that. I think Mm -hmm. is wonderful.
1: Yeah, and we would just have open communication. I mean, if a para was sitting there with Johnny, filling it out, and I was at the table too, so it was a horseshoe table. All the students were sitting there. The paras were kind of behind them overseeing, you know, a couple different students at a time maybe. But they might just say to me, Mrs. Adams, uh, afternoon, what do you think? You know, like, and they would just say to me, because maybe they were out supporting another student in another classroom and they weren't directly with them all day. Or if they said, hey, remember so and so did something awesome at lunch? Is it okay if I add this in? Like they would just check with right. me and we developed that relationship. And then the other kind of safe ground I had which um, because I know for some teachers and I've been there as well, you sometimes have wonderful paraprofessionals and sometimes you you don't. And for better, for worse, you know, and everybody is different. um, I always made it. I was the last straw. That's why I had that 20 minutes where the kids got their free choice time and I would review things to make sure nothing was written in there that I wouldn't have approved. And usually for my paraprofessionals, they weren't writing in Um, I had a box just for open text that could be anything that needed extra written in. They usually weren't filling out that section. They were just monitoring things like what they ate for lunch. Did they go to the bathroom? How many times? um, What subjects did they have that day? That kind of stuff. Whereas maybe the more detailed information I might say about maybe certain types of behaviors that were exhibited, I made sure I wrote it. So it always had the right tone to it that we want to have as educators when we're trying to approach families. With some of those stickier things. Uh-huh. So that was something I did to kind of make sure that something wasn't going home that I wasn't okay with.
0: And too, even with that, I know I have lots of different, I'm going to use air quotes, types of <laughs> parents. Some I can be a little more frank with or use yes. certain verbiage where others I would never say what I said to, you know, everybody's different. Right. And right. most of our professionals aren't on the front lines in meetings. They aren't seeing them. You yes. know, maybe they are if they ride special transportation and are taking them right. home or or whatever. There are obviously different scenarios, but yes. we know our parents, especially when we have worked with them for years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Okay, one of the things too, this was not a question that I um, told you about ahead of time. This is just an (laughs) on-the-fly question, so I hope you're fine with that. Um, What do you do or how do you define a good day? Okay. You know, I mean, because we we use that sometimes kind of loosey-goosey. What's a good day?
1: Yes, and I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier when you said, you know, there's There's certain parents you can talk to in certain ways. I think almost the great, good, okay, which is a lot of the language that even on my own communication sheets and the ones I used prior to creating my own, um, it had. And that is, that can be a bit of a blurred line. So I think getting some of that um, understood, I mean, could you send a letter home to families and giving some examples prior, you know, maybe that first day saying like, here's our communication log or think of like an open house night, you go over, that stuff with them, or you have a phone conversation when you call them for the first time to introduce yourself, something like that. Definitely be proactive on that one. Make sure you know what those mean. And I think it can mean different things for different students, for different teachers, for different classrooms. Um, for me, a lot of it was behavior-based because a lot of my students, um, it was behavior and communication-based, I would say, were the two big factors that we would use for that. Um, because a lot of my students did exhibit behaviors that sometimes impeded their learning or the learning of their peers. And we wanted parents to be aware of those, not necessarily because I expected families to fix them because they're not there, they're not in school, but I want them to be a part of the team so that if we need to address it, because it is something that's impeding the learning, then we might need to have an IEP meeting and I want it to be known, you know, this is something, you can see it, you saw it in the logs, this is something we've been documenting for a while and we kinda need to figure out something that's gonna help them or support them better. So I do think the the great, good, okay, could have been better, I believe is some of the wording that would be on those sheets, really needs to be specified by you as the teacher To the parents of what you think. So I think of just generically, you know, a great day would be probably not needing a ton of redirection. But if you have a kid that has an IEP goal of needing redirection, they might need a few redirections, but they can still have a great day otherwise. So I do think you need to be careful how you describe it. And I also will say a lot of times I would, if it was not something the parent expected, like if they didn't, if the student always had a good day and it went up to great, I'd put in that note at the bottom, why what made it great? What changed that? So they could see maybe why I felt that or vice versa, if it went down, what was the reasoning why I felt that that went different than what the norm has been for your child? So I think kind of having those conversations with them. Um, so I don't think there's any hard, fast rule again. And that's probably not what many teachers want to hear is, you know, everybody's individualized, and we have to meet their needs where they are. But that's kind of, you know, what you have to do anywhere. It's not even just special ed.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, One of the things that I was thinking about, just even I have a student right now where mom texts me and a lot of times before they go to a doctor's appointment, she'll be like, well, how has he been? And I might yes. be like, oh, well, you know, and so then it's like, well, if the three days before were great, I'm going to be like, oh, he's been great. But what about all the other days before and, or even what is good? What is great? I was even thinking, you know, we often say in special education, pick one goal or pick one Mm -hmm. thing. If you have 15 things on the list that annoy you or that are impeding learning, we're not going to check them all off at one time. You're going to take it one at a time. So that was kind of what I was thinking for the good versus great versus bad is what if I communicate with a parent? I'm going to say good or bad or needs a briefing yeah. or whatever right. based on, did he stay in class today or not? Yeah, You know, mm-hmm. did he get up and leave? Because, you know, that is his behavior that oftentimes he'll just be like, screw this. I'm out of here. And yeah. that, you know, so maybe that is the one thing that we're measuring and that's what that communication log could be used for.
1: Absolutely. Yes. You can totally just tie it to one behavior, one goal if you want to. I even have seen um, working in schools, uh, teachers utilizing the materials um, going from gen ed to special ed. So it's not even communicating with the families. It's communicating between teachers. Ooh, so when yeah. they leave their self-contained classroom to go to inclusion for maybe the other half of the day, they can see what their morning's been like, get a little bit of a heads up. Because we all know, like you said, that prep time, you don't have time to go run to all the inclusion teachers and give everybody a heads up on what every behavior has been or or how things have been going. If you have a binder that, you know, the student takes back and forth, Use that for communication between those teachers. That saves teachers time from checking in, you know, that way too. So I like utilizing it for that purpose. And the other one too is related services. So speech therapy, occupational therapy, you know, sometimes they pull kids. Sometimes they push in for those pullouts. Same thing. If you can send them a note on one of those communication logs, letting them know, you know, so-and-so has not wanted to use their device today. Well, the speech teacher then is going to be like, okay, I've got to do something to get them motivated today if we're going to try, you know, working on our goal for communicating more um, and vice versa. You know, gave me a hard time in speech. If they tell the teacher, then I can let the par- the parents know um, and say, hey, you know, and if it's a situation where you can reason with the child and talk with them, great. You can come up with a team with some strategies If it's not and the student needs more like behavior modification, maybe that's a time when I need to say to my principal, hey, can somebody cover my class for a half hour so I can go observe the student in their speech session and provide advice to support the speech teacher? Maybe there's something I know that works that they haven't used yet kind of a thing. So I look at it that way, too.
0: And the same would be true, what if they observed you even sometimes just yes. be like, oh my gosh, every time she uses a countdown board before they transition or before, the, you know, she takes away whatever that could be, you know, I'm not doing that in speech or, yes. or whatever. So all of those things, if no one communicates it or there's not a good system, you might all be fighting individual battles that could be, yes. you know, with the team effort. Yes. you could accomplish those. Right. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Um. Okay. So what if, what if I don't want to do something daily? I'd rather do it weekly or monthly. How do you choose? I mean, I know for you, it's just a core part of your day, but how would you recommend for somebody in maybe a resource room setting or right. the going back and forth, how do you recommend choosing daily, weekly, monthly?
1: I think some of that first depends on what whoever you're communicating with right because we've just thrown out a lot of people you can communicate with not just families but whoever it is that your goal is to communicate with what are they looking for are they looking for daily are they looking for weekly Monthly, you know, if it's a related service that they get once a month, monthly is great, right? You only need that one time, or or weekly maybe. Um, Families, you know, may say, you know, I don't need to know about every single day unless something really, you know, off the off the hook happens. But otherwise, I just like a a general how was their week thing. And so I think first talking with whoever it is you're communicating with, what do they want? Um, What's feasible? For them, right? We talked about that earlier. Do you have the time in your day to be able to handle that? Do they have the time in their day to look at it and give it the value and the time that it deserves so that no one is wasting their time? And I don't think there's anything wrong. And I'm sure if you are new to education, if you are a new teacher, you might feel a little uncomfortable maybe having that conversation with a family because you don't want them thinking, oh, she doesn't care. She only is saying she has time to do this weekly. I, I don't, I think some of it goes with how you word it, right? How we talk to people, how we talk to families. And, it, and if we're not phrasing it in a way that sounds like, oh, I don't have time to do that, like, what are you crazy? I can't talk to you every day. There's a difference in saying, and you can even say, at this point, I am not seeing, you know, a need for daily. Why don't we start with weekly and we can always go back to daily if we see a need starting to happen. So I think you're showing the flexibility to whoever it is that maybe if they're pushing for more (laughs) than what you're hoping to do or able to do, um, I think that's important as well. I think when you're trying to decide, um, like I said, finding that time in your schedule, um, what information do you need to share? Are you sharing like in self-contained, we share a lot of information about what happens during the day. A lot of families want to know about toileting. They want to know about how much food they've eaten because especially if it's a child that struggles to communicate, they're not going to go home and tell their parents that. Whereas if you see a resource setting, inclusion, regular education, those students can go home and tell their families, I had a sandwich today, or, you know, I didn't want to eat, or I got hurt at recess, you know, so we have to also think, like, what can our students communicate to their families on their own, if it's information, you know, they need. So I think that's a factor to take in as well. um, When you're doing that.
0: I really like the thought of the way you word things does either portray it's a priority or not a priority. I don't have time for that. And I just think we would be appalled if a parent told us, I don't have time to let you know they had a bad morning or I don't have time to let you know we're out of medication or something. You know, we would be appalled by that. So we yes. have to show the same value of we're a team, we're working together, and that's one way to do it.
1: Absolutely. Yes.
0: What about teachers finding their groove or their confidence or, you know, parents can sometimes be intimidating, oftentimes depending on what the disability category is or how long have they been in special education, what experiences have they had. So sometimes communicating with parents is great because they've had wonderful experiences and things like that. But I'm thinking about two new teachers that I'm working with and just them being intimidated by communicating with parents. What do you recommend for teachers to kind of find their confidence or or at least the fake it till you make it skill (laughs) (laughs) that would allow them to communicate with parents?
1: So my first piece of advice to any new teachers I've worked with, so I've had a few student teachers here and there. and actually this year, I'm being faced with a challenge that um, of being the most senior teacher in my department and tons of new teachers, right? So um, that's that's been a new challenge for me that I haven't I've experienced a bit, but not quite to the extent that I am this year. And a lot of them, you know, would say, oh, we have to call parents. Oh no. You know, kind of that like pit in your stomach feeling of, of doing so. And I, I had to say to them, you know, okay, so you have a pit in your stomach about having to call families because you don't know what is coming, right? That's more where the fear is. You don't know how, if they're going to be friendly, you don't know if they're, they're going to come to you with a lot of problems or if they, you know, are going to hang up on you. Right. Um, you have to remember it's the same way with you. Not that as a teacher ever I would condone professionally hanging up on a parent, but you you they don't know what's coming from you either, especially if they have not had you as a teacher for their child before. So they are having some of those same anxieties that you are about the upcoming school year or situations that may come, such as like a new IEP or things like that. The other thing I think as students get older, you have to remember, especially in education or in special education, I think parents um, that have fought to get things for their children that they deserve and need for their education have gone through a lot sometimes. And we have to step back and remember that and be respectful to it and kind of give them some grace. Um, Also thinking about past experiences that parents have had, whether it's with their own child or themselves. There are some parents that hated school, hated their teachers. And not that that means that they should be taking it out on us, but sometimes those emotions, that anxiety, those feelings come back when we call. Um, Another thing, and my biggest piece of advice is, being proactive in the communication you being the one to take initiative to be the first to communicate i think makes a great first impression on families so as much as you while you're setting up your classroom are like i have no time i really do suggest calling families before the first day of school or at least that first week to you know show I'm being proactive. I want to open up these lines of communications. This is important to me. I want it to be important to you. It's important for your child to succeed if we are on the same page. And then, you know, showing, hey, I'm available, you know, and you can obviously set boundaries for that, but I am available because this is important to me. I also think having confidence in what you are saying, um, obviously having data. And facts, using a lot of facts. We don't want to use opinions with with our parents, right? Um, that kind of has to be pushed to the side. Facts and data are the things we want to be sharing and utilizing, just like you would in an IEP as you're writing it. You would not put an opinion in an IEP. That is not um, appropriate. So same thing when you're talking to parents. Um, and I think that's important as well. So that builds your confidence. And that also shows the families, look, she knows what she's doing. She's keeping track of this behavior. She's keeping track of this reading goal. Look at all this information she's gathering. You're showing that I think a lot of young teachers too are like, they don't think I'm good at my job. Well, how do you show that? Use some of that data that you're using for your kids to show you're doing your job, to show that you're keeping on track of what they need. I also think if you can, try to get back to families quickly When they come to you, Um, you know, it's hard sometimes. I know when I was in brick and mortar, you're there seven days, seven hours with the kids the whole time. Where is their time to make a phone call? Not always there, but if you can, and even setting up a secondary way of communication. Can I shoot you an email if I can't do a phone call? That might be easier for me to do real quick, you know, as opposed to taking the time to pick up the phone and call and then have you talking to me for, you know, 45 minutes eating up my entire prep time. So... You know, that all is some of the precursor work I always suggest to new teachers to do, Um, but then just keeping that line open. And the other big one I feel like that probably a lot of people have heard in the past is don't just call when there's something wrong, right? Don't just... Call when you're having a behavior problem. Don't just call when they don't have their lunch money. Make sure that that ratio, right? There is actually research out there on the ratio of what people react to well when it's positive versus negative. So if you can keep, you know, a good ratio of how many times you're contacting families for positive reasons versus the negative reasons. And I do actually think those communication logs can help serve some of that purpose, So then it doesn't always have to be a phone call, an email. If you're doing it in those logs, that can count as well.
0: I love that. And I always suggest to teachers to call, like you said, before school even starts, let them know you're open to that. And a lot of times, almost like when we get a move in, you know, we always have a move in conference when we have a new student. It's the same whenever you have a whole new caseload. Right To just be able to talk and I tell people or tell parents in a moving conference, you know, you know your child better than I do. Mm -hmm. What can you tell me? And I just really think that when we make that phone call, we are allowing them to be heard, which is what all parents want and that you care and that you want to hear and you want to work with them. And I I just really love that. Even um, a quote that I have for you, I'll probably make it into a social media image is it's important to me. I want it to be important to, you know, to you and I'm available because those are important things. I, a lot of times will even tell parents, you know, feel free to text. That's what I, one of my things that I do, some people are opposed to that, but And I always tell them, you know, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a business owner. Sometimes I'm busy, but I will get back to you as soon as I can. Or if it's during the school day, I don't have my phone right, you know, it's not on me all the time, Mm -hmm. but on my lunch or my prep or other times of day, I will check. So if there is something, you know, feel free. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's okay with that and that's fine. But I agree just showing that it's important. And being yes. in front of it, so that it's not always like, "Oh my God, when Mrs. Wilp calls, what, what I my kids do now?" You know. Yep. For me, I. Again, this might be against a lot of rules for certain people, but I take pictures, which like you can do in class dojo and things. Yep. And yep. so, you know, I send pictures of times when they were, I was proud of them. Maybe they spelled their words, their spelling words without their letter tiles that day or, or whatever it is, you know, when they've kind of reached a milestone, celebrate mm-hmm. it because in three days they could do something that, you know, is, is major. And so I like to take pictures of them in the moment, not with other kids, but just to be like, Oh, I love him. Or, Oh, look what he did. You know, those things matter. And if pictures aren't your thing, but a postcard home or a note home. Mm -hmm. But for me, a lot of times I will pick a week, like I'm going to get all my kindergartners this week. Yeah, I'm going to get all my first graders this week. And then the next week, second grade, the next week, third grade. So that it's not like something that takes hours. It's, A few minutes, you know.
1: And it's a routine you've created that's just part of what you do. So even think of for special education teachers, we're progress monitoring. You set up some kind of a schedule to do that. So build this into your schedule, communicating with families, however it works for you. It could be a daily thing like the logs we've been talking about. It could be what you said, going once a week. And making sure every Friday I pop into all the classes and make sure I get something in action to send families a photo. Right. But building that in and show and like putting that dedicated time in is a great way to make sure it's gonna happen.
0: Yes, I agree. And I do think that it does just take time to build confidence. Like you don't go in with the confidence to talk to any parent in any situation. None of us did. <laughs> Trust no. me. None of us did. But it becomes easier when you put yourself out there and you, you give it a shot. So,
1: right. Yeah. I'm 15 years in and every time I get a new to me student, so new to my caseload, I'm like, all right, it'll be okay. (laughs) Like give myself a little pep talk because you, you don't know, you don't know the background. You don't, you can read it all on paper as much as you want, but you'll never get the whole thing. And one thing I always say to families when I first meet them is tell me your child's story. And I feel like that is a really positive way to kind of like show them you care. Like I'm going to take the time and yes, it might take time, but tell me their story, you know, because some of them have really long ones, depending on how many years they've been in school or the things they've been through in life. Um, you know, there's students that have had multiple surgeries and have physical disabilities and you have student, you know, and, and this isn't just special education. This is every kid. I recommend every teacher when you call that person, ask them their story yeah. because parents will see that as a way of you wanting to be a part of that team and, and showing that interest. It's not just, hey, I wanted to make sure your contact information is good. All right. They've got this IEP goal. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. You know, I mean, there's a difference in that being a human being and being, you know, being more of like a robot. I hate to use that phrase, but that's kind of what it is. And, and not showing them they're just a number, you know?
0: Well, Jen, I've loved everything, um, you know, communication wise with you. And actually I'm going to be really honest. I thought like I kick butt at communicating with parents. (laughs) Like we'll just be like, you know, equals here because I feel really good. I have great relationships with them. But I'm seeing it could be better. And that's even the the thing I want listeners to hear, I guess, is we can be great at communicating with parents, but what if it was a 10 out of 10 instead of a 9 out of 10? What if it was an right. 11 out of 10 instead of a 10? You know, we can always be better. And so um, I, I just love all I've learned from you.
1: Oh, I thank you so much. I appreciate it. I just always see... I have never had a bad experience. I wouldn't say it's over communicating, but putting the effort into building that relationship with families. I've never seen it as a bad thing. Yeah, when you communicate, it's a bad thing when you don't, and they don't get information. They don't know what's going on. They can't, you know, say, "Hey, I see where you need this support in the classroom. Let me support you." in trying to get that, but. But the over, and I don't ever condone, um, you know, you going beyond your personal boundaries of relationships with families, Mm -hmm. things like that. But I've never seen it be a problem that I make sure to call families twice a month or I make sure I do this. Granted, we only have so many hours in a day. So you have to find that balance of where you're putting your time. But um, like we talked about before, uh, you know, just figuring out what works for you. And and if that works for you, then I don't see any harm in trying to build stronger bonds with families because right. it's just going to help that student succeed.
0: And even for you in self-contained, maybe it is very realistic for you to call home twice a month because how many kids are in your room? Uh, it would be eight Eight. What was the cap when I was in brick and mortar. So for me, maybe, oh, my gosh, I can't do two. But if mm-hmm. I had 16 or, say, 24 students, then maybe it's once a month or every right. other month or, or whatever. I, I think it goes back to what we said at the beginning. It's you and what works for you so that right. they know it's important. I'm available. I want it to be mm-hmm. important for you. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, Jen, it, before we leave or before we close out, will you tell listeners where they can find you kind of in the internet world and then what will they find when they get there? Okay.
1: So, um, the first place you could look is I have a blog and a website, and it's um, I handle, which is going to go for everything, is Teach Love Autism. So, my website is www.teachloveautism.com. You can find me through All of those platforms under the same name. So for example, Pinterest, Teach Love Autism. Instagram, Teach Love Autism. Uh, Facebook, I have uh, a page, Teach Love Autism. I also have a Facebook group. So if you're looking for more support from other educators, it's called the Teach Love Autism Community. So you can look that up on Facebook. And then um, I'm also dabbled in TikTok. I got bit by the TikTok bug, so I'm over there too. Um, And feel free to reach out to me. I I love talking with other teachers. About all kinds of things. That's how Amanda and I kind of got connected too. So um, feel free to DM me or shoot me an email. And if you're, you know, can use some support. I love helping other teachers. It's my second passion after working in the
0: classroom.
1: So don't hesitate to reach out.
0: That's wonderful. And I'm sure um, the Facebook group especially would be such a resource. I mean, obviously, today we're talking about parent communication and things like that, which could be for anybody. But anybody right. who's working in that self-contained or in, you know, an autism role would right. really, really benefit from that.
1: Yeah, it's a great group of teachers. It's parents. It's therapists. It's I opened it up to anybody in that realm because... There's, there's parents that need support, you know. Some of them even our homeschoolers that work with students with disabilities. So we do that. I like to uh, provide freebies if I see a need. So you can hop in there and grab some freebies. There's also freebies on my website if you choose to go on there. Um, and I do also send out weekly emails if that's something you like. It's something consistent in terms of some tips and feedback.
0: And you can choose to uh, take advantage of those as well. That's good. And I believe as teachers... Even if the parents in your group aren't my parents, I can still learn from them because my parents that I'm working with might have the same concerns or aggravations Mm -hmm. or worries. So I think that's a very valuable asset having them in in your Facebook group.
1: Yeah, it's it's fared very well because you get all the perspectives. And I think that if we're doing our jobs well, we are taking in the perspectives of all the people that are involved. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you said, whether it's the actual parent or not, it's a a parent and a parent might be able to give you that perspective of, well, when I got my student, my child's IEP, I saw this, this and this and this really upset me. And then you go, oh, so maybe I don't want to set it up like this. Maybe I do, you know, and that, like you said, can be really valuable information um, that you can gain or or even experience you can gain, you know, oh, I didn't think of it that way kind of a thing.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. And um, I want you to get back to your family. We're recording this on a Sunday, you know, all the... Sunday teachery tasks that we need to get done before the week starts. So I will let you get back to that. And thanks so much for taking the time to record with me today. Yes. Thank you, Amanda. This was great. Yes. All right. Well, talk with you later. Okay. Bye. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the resource room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.